Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Misplaced. Nothing personal word. How's that, Coco? Is that a good start? Here we go. Glasses off. Five, nine, 60. Misplaced. Nothing personal word of the day today. It's the first day of the last month of the last year of the second decade of the 21st century. I think that's wrong. I think it's the last first day of the last month of the first year of the third decade. I learned this in school, Coca. I think it's zero one to zero zero is a decade. Or is it zero zero to zero nine? I don't know. 2020, December 1st, misplaced is the word of the day. I'm not going to even think about it because my brain hurts. My brain doesn't hurt nearly as badly today not nearly as badly as a player who plays for the Houston Texans. The Texans are a team we've talked about quite a bit on Nothing Personal. They've got J.J. Watt, the Badger. They've got four wins, five wins, haven't played well, not a good team. They've got a very high-paid quarterback whose name is now completely escaping me, but I think it's Deshaun Watson. It's been that kind of morning already, by the way. But that's not why misplaced is the word of the day. Will Fuller is in a contract year. He's a pretty famous wide receiver. He's a guy. Planned on making money, free agent, next year. Guess what he's not doing this weekend? Not because of COVID, although that'd be a very good guess. Will Fuller will not be playing for the next six games. That means he's out for the rest of the season, I think. Coca, check that. I can't believe it. Come on, Coco, we didn't even talk about that pre-show. I think he's out for the rest of the year in one game of 2021. But of course, the math could be off. But just pretend that Will Fuller has been suspended for six games for steroids. That's PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs. Now, in football, they don't have rules the way they do in baseball, a little different in terms of games. In baseball, if you get get caught once in your career with PEDs, that's half a season, 81 games. Twice, you're out for a full year like Robinson Cano. That's 162 games. Three times, lady, that's lifetime ban in baseball. So the Texans have five games. Will Fuller test positive. And then what he said and why misplaced is the word of the day. Here's his Instagram apology. <laughs> I can't even. When we have a player test positive for steroids, we are working with that player on PR as pissed as we are at that player. We're going to work with him on a statement. We're going to work with the agent. We're going to work with MLB. And we're going to make sure that we have the normal statement that we are completely in support of Major League Baseball's Joint Drug Prevention Act, that we are disappointed in the player, and that we know that he will work hard to regain the trust of his teammates, his family, 
the front office, and of course, the fans. So that's sort of page one and page two of the you just got caught for stars. Here's what we don't tell the player to do. Don't make up an excuse that will be a total eye roll. So, for example, with D. Gordon, don't say that you had no idea because the only way to get the steroid that you test positive for is to get a shot right in the bum. So just admit it. Say you made a mistake, show contrition and move on. Okay. That's sort of the general theory that you want to give your players. So Will Fuller, instead of going through a statement, instead of meeting the media, decides to go to his own Instagram account, tries to get, you know, 40,000 likes, whatever number of likes he got. And I want to quote what his statement was. And what a crock of absolute horse hockey it is. Although, you know what? That was wrong of me. I nothing personal. I want to tell you what I think. I want to tell you what happened. And then I want you to make your opinion. You to decide where your head is. Here's the statement. Earlier this year, I sought treatment from a medical professional who prescribed medication that he believed to be permitted under the NFL's drug policy. As it turns out, oopsie daisy. I added oopsie daisy, by the way. As it turns out, my trust in this professional was misplaced. There's the word of the day right there, misplaced. My trust in this professional was misplaced because this medication was, all caps, not a permitted substance under the NFL policy on performance enhancing substances. As a result of this mistake, I've been suspended for six games for taking this prohibited medication. I want to sincerely apologize, here it comes, to the Texans organization and all of my fans for this mistake. I'm looking forward to putting all of this behind me and returning better than ever in 2021. A couple of things to note when you're doing an apology statement for steroids and every player does this and I can't understand. So if any players are watching or listening, by the way, I'll do that later, Coca, you're right. Don't interrupt a segment with a plug to download and subscribe to Nothing Personal wherever you find your podcast. Don't interrupt a segment to say, if you're watching on YouTube, we have a channel called Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Tell your friends, hit subscribe, let's go. Don't do that. And when you transition, make it smooth and let Coca know when you're moving on to the next topic, which by the way is not now. And the reason Coca doesn't like me to do it mid-segment is he knows I have a hard time getting back to where I am. And when I don't know where I was, I simply delay by spewing a bunch of nonsense and speaking slowly and quietly and waiting for Coca to write down somewhere or whisper somewhere in my ear that we were talking about Will Fuller, the wide receiver for the Texans, being suspended for six games and reminding people what not to say in your statement. I'm looking forward to putting this all behind me. Really? Shocking. Don't say that. When you are putting a statement together, you want to make sure that you're communicating to the public things that they don't, by definition, assume. Because 
they don't want to waste their precious time on your posts or in a statement reading something that they know already to be the case. You're putting, trying to put this behind you. You look forward to putting this behind you. Really? Mm, Yeah. Don't put that in. Okay. Returning better than ever. That's another line that players use. I'm not just going to return after my steroid suspension. I'm going to return better than ever. The problem is if you return and you stop taking PEDs, the odds are you won't return better than ever because the reason why you were better than ever is that you were taking PEDs. So don't put yourself in a position where you're going to get totally nailed because you're going to come back. You're going to have missed the rest of the regular season. You're going to miss game one of the season with a new team. If you're a free agent, you sign with someone else. Then you're going to have to meet the media to say, I'm back. And you're going to have to say, I'm a little rusty, even though you're allowed to participate in training camp. I don't know the NFL rules, but I assume like in baseball, if you're suspended for steroids and it goes over the course of the following season that you can participate in spring training. You just can't participate in actual spring training games, but those don't count toward your suspension. And then you can't participate in the regular season games up until your suspension is over. So let's ignore those two statements and let's go back to the front of the show. And let's go back to what he claims happened. We sit our players down and say, do not put one thing in your body in a needle, in a capsule up your ass, in a pill down your throat. Don't put a seasoning on your food. Don't ingest in any way into your bloodstream, whether it's through your esophagus, through your veins, or through your cavities that you don't know for sure is allowed under the Substance Abuse Performance Enhancing Drug Act. Question, um, David, how do I know? Ah, I'm so glad you asked that because we know. We've got doctors, trainers, strength coaches, GMs, presidents. We've got a slew of people. We've got the list and we'll check it out. If there's any question, wait a minute, you have a problem, you're sick, you got a little stuffy stuffy, a little stuffy nose, a little hachoo, a little headache, having a hard time downstairs performing, whatever issue you have, we've got the doctor for you who's our doctor. We will make sure that our doctor, who by the way, All team doctors, the union's aware of team doctors, the team, the league. We're all aware of who the strength coaches are, who the trainers are, who the doctors are. Everyone has already been checked. Everyone has a list of what you can take and what you can't take. Don't go, we say, to anybody outside the list without speaking to us first. And this is not a control issue. We had players in our time who loved getting second opinions from non-team doctors because you heard it on a Logan Morrison sit down. He thought our trainers were horrible. We've got players who didn't like our team doctors. Fine. I don't need you to like them. I don't need you to respect them. I frankly don't even need you to go to them. But what you do have to do is get to us first. Let us know who you're going to. 
and then let us know what's being prescribed before you take it. We'll check it out and make sure. Every player knows this. Every player. When a player goes to a doctor and takes a prescribed medication that has not been pre-approved, they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it because it wouldn't be pre-approved because it's a violation. To sell this doctor under the bus, a medical professional, is that a doctor, by the way? That's some wordsmithing by Will Fuller's agents. I'm trying to decide if medical professional means doctor. Because you could have a masseuse who's a medical professional, couldn't you? You could have anybody. Hi, I'm a medical professional. The guy from Balco. I can't remember his name. Oh, my God. He's the one who ended up. He was in the movie by Billy Corbin about A-Rod and steroids. And he was the one who ended up working for baseball. Uh Oh, my heavenly God, Coca. Coca, what's the guy's name? Uh, you can let me know. It's, uh, 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 for God dang it. Anyway, so he probably called himself a medical professional. Okay, what else did he say in that statement that makes me happy? Nah, I'm just going to stop because I'm, uh, it's ridiculous. Will Fuller has cost himself money. By the way, one of his teammates tested positive as well. It wasn't just Fuller. And here's a funny thing. A guy named Bradley Roby is one of his teammates, not as good as Fuller. Fuller hasn't played a lot because he's often injured. But Roby, this guy, by the way, tested positive for the same steroid. By the way, got the same substance from the same medical professional. That's not a coincidence. That's called N-E-F-A-R-I-O-U-S. All right, let's talk about Matt Nagy. Who's Matt Nagy? Matt Nagy is the coach of the Bears. We've done very well in our picks of the day by picking against the Bears. We should have gone with the Packers. Uh, as it turns out, we, did, we, we didn't get a win last night because we pushed, but we'll get to that later in the show with the Eagles in that backdoor nightmare that makes me hurt all night. Ow! Ah, hell, me- anyway. Matt Nagy's the coach of the Bears. Here's how you evaluate coaches and how we evaluated managers. And I, I will tell you, obviously, I wasn't great at evaluating managers. Actually, I was, no. You know, every manager we hired was good right when we hired them. Like, right at the beginning. We felt good about almost every manager we hired. We weren't so sure about Edwin Rodriguez, who didn't end up having a long career, and we ended up extending him. Did I ever tell you the Edwin Rodriguez extension story, Coca? Have you ever heard that story? Edwin Rodriguez was a manager who came in and he was a minor league guy who had come up through the system and our baseball front office thought it would be good because we had just fired a manager. And I, I truly can't remember who we fired to bring in Edwin because who can keep track of such a gaggle of people. And so we brought him in and uh, it was like promoted from within because we needed someone. He, I think it was our triple A manager. We bring him to the big leagues. All the young players knew him. It was a natural fit. He was a really nice guy. And he was a lame duck because we just hadn't uh, uh, signed him to a long-term deal at all. And the season's going on and we're playing in San Juan. And the front office at the time, I think it was Larry Beinfest and Mike Hill and Dan Jennings. I can't remember exactly who it was because who can keep track of, although that wasn't a real gaggle. I just don't remember what year it was. So we're playing in San Juan against the Expos who were playing home games back then. 
And we had been convinced the front office had come to Jeffrey and said, listen, I think that we should let the players know and let Edwin know that we are going to extend him. So he'll manage the rest of the season and extend him another year. By the way, I don't think he made it another year, but that's sort of the end of the story. So we're in San Juan and we decide to try to get maximum bang for the PR buck because there'd been a lot of lot written, a lot of conversation about what we were doing with Edwin Rodriguez, what was going on with the Marlins, et cetera. The players were talking about it because no one likes playing for a lame duck manager and uh, managers don't like being in the last year of their contract and not knowing what's going to happen. They feel as though they don't. The reason they don't like it, by the way, is not as much about money even though to me, everything should be about money. The reason managers don't like being lame duck is they feel it somehow gets in the way of the control they would have of the clubhouse. And it somehow makes the players look at the manager and say, ah, eh, if it doesn't work out, you know, he's gone anyway. So by giving long-term security to managers, at least a year out, you're basically telling the players in the clubhouse, you better listen to this guy. You better pay attention and cooperate because he's going to be here. So we're in San Juan, and it, it was called Hiram Beethorn Stadium. And we were, the, we were the visiting team playing our old team, the Expos. And Jeffrey gives permission and says that he agrees that we will uh, um, extend Edwin. And Edwin was Puerto Rican, and it was a big deal to have a Puerto Rican manager. I believe Jeffrey was there. Now, my memory on this could be wrong. I think Jeffrey is the one who walked into the dugout before the game when the players were all there and in front of everyone gave Edwin the extension and everyone hugged him and celebrated. And it was this great feeling, I think, because we wanted to win that game. So we thought this was a good way to get the players excited and motivated. So Edwin ends up hearing the news. He's all excited. And then months later, I think it was the beginning of next season, or maybe it was even later on that season. It doesn't matter when it was. He ended up just quitting on a random Sunday. He literally called us the end of Edwin Rodriguez's career with the Marlins. He was so upset by the way we meddled, which I don't think it was meddling. By the way, we micromanaged. I don't think we micromanaged. There's a reason why Edwin's not in the game right now, because if he thinks that we were involved as a front office, oy, he has no idea what other front offices are like because he was in our system. And I guess he just wasn't aware of it. But he called us. I got a call from, again, either Larry Byfest or Mike Hill before going to the ballpark for a Sunday afternoon game saying Edwin just resigned. And I remember thinking, I don't even understand what, what? We have a game in two hours. What, what, you can't just do that. What happened? Is he okay? So my first thought, I'm going to revise history. And I'm going to tell you what a normal person's first thought would be. The normal first thought would be, oh, my God, is he okay? Is his family okay? Was there an accident? Did something happen? My first thought was, what the hell is he doing? Who's managing the game today? It was Sunday, June 19, 2011, Coca. Was that the day he got extended or was that the day he resigned? Sunday was the day he resigned, right on a Sunday. So I got the Sunday right. So it was 2011. Wow, that was the last year. So what we must have done, by the way, in 2011 is we must have brought back Jack McKeon to manage the balance of the year 
after we had Brandon Hyde manage one game. Then we flew Jack in. Jack took over the team in 2011. And then Ozzie Gein in 12. Coke, I may be wrong, but that would be my memory of that almost 10 years ago. That is amazing. Coca just told me I got that right. I have no idea how. Brandon Hyde was the bench coach for Edwin. So what we did for that Sunday is we had Brandon Hyde manage the game. He is the current manager of the Orioles. So he actually was a manager of record for the Marlins. I don't know whether he won or lost that game. So he's either 1-0 or 0-1 as a Marlins manager. He still counts as a Marlins manager. He lost. Thank you, Coca. And then... By the next day, Jack McKean was there and managed the balance of the year through September, trying to recapture some 03 magic. We didn't recapture it. And then we tell Jack that we're done and that we're going to bring in Ozzy. And then we announce Ozzy as this big time new manager for 2012. So can you imagine walking in and resigning like before a game? It's outrageous. Why in the name? Oh, I was talking about Matt Nagy. All right. So Matt Nagy is the coach of the Bears. And... They lost to the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, owns the Bears, which is it's it, Aaron Rodgers it, to Chicago is the opposite of Jim Harbaugh to ranked teams and Ohio State. <clears throat> when you are the Michigan coach, there's certain teams you have to beat. Harbaugh doesn't do it. When you're the Packers coach or Packers quarterback, there's certain teams that you have to beat. You have to beat the Bears period, no matter how good or how bad the Bears are. And Aaron Rodgers is pretty good at that, like really good at that. By the way, is anyone paying attention to the fact that Aaron Rodgers may be the second best quarterback in football right now behind Mahomes? Way higher than Tom Brady and everyone else. Okay. So Matt Nagy uh, loses to the Packers, I think, 41-25. And then he said this. He had a quote. Do we have sound, Coca? Do we have Matt Nagy saying this? Okay. He's like, he just he just yelled at me. Of course we don't have sound. We didn't do that pregame. That's true. Okay. I know this, Matt Nagy said. We better wake our tails up. Every freaking coach on the staff, every player better wake up and start understanding where we're at. I hate people who end set. I don't hate. That's a strong word. I'm sorry, Alfie Mesa. Hate is a strong word. I don't like people who end sentences with a preposition. Have some personal pride. Have a freaking sense of urgency. Know where we're at. That's two. Have some pride into who we're playing. Get it? That's the Packers. And for why we do this, to get paid. And then go find a way to win as a team. That's my challenge to every single person in that building this week. Yesterday was flat out embarrassing. And our guys know it. I'm not telling you something they don't know. They know it. But we're going to step up. And all coaches, all players, and we've got five games left for us. It's our own personal challenge to where we're at and how we're going to do this thing. But that performance yesterday is ridiculous and can't happen. And finally, at the end of that rant, comes the five words that I was waiting for. Obviously, that starts with moi. So when a coach goes on a rant like that, we would talk to our managers and I would try to understand the philosophy of that, what the timing is, what you say, when you say it, why you say it, who you're calling out, why you're calling out, what's the strategy of calling out that player or that coach. 
because it's generally a shot across the bow. And to do a proper shot across the bow as a coach, it has to be pointed. You have to, if you're going to do it, say that our defense cannot allow Aaron Rodgers time in the pocket, as an example. Our defense has to do a better job of reading the offense. Our offense has to do a better job of reading the defensive coverages. We've got to make sure that we're not missing any coverages. Any number of things you can say when you're calling out your team. When you lose to a better team, the Bears have lost five in a row. They stink. When you're a bad team and you've lost five in a row, it's not motivating to players or to the front office when your coach says, we better wake our tails up. Every freaking coach better wake up and start understanding where we're at. I got a question for you, Matt Nagy. I'm walking down there if I'm the president of that team, and I'm saying, Matt, I heard your uh, statement. I just got a quick question. Just real quick, then go back to your job. Can you explain to me what your job is? Just in 15 words or less, what is your job coaching the team? Uh, Well, sir, number one, to execute and put in a game plan. Okay, good. Two, to make sure our guys are ready to play. Oh, yes, that is the second one, Matt. Your job is to make sure your guys are ready to play. Once you have the game plan in, if they're ready to play and they're not good enough to execute the game plan, guess what that means? That means we didn't give you the right players. If they're good enough to execute the game plan, but they don't understand the game plan, or they're not motivated to exercise the game, to execute the game plan, or they're just sort of disinterested in executing the game plan, that's on you, Coach Matt. Not on me for putting these players together. Not on the fans. Not on anybody. Your job as coach is to get the team ready to play. So you think that in week 12, after having lost five in a row, now is when you want to say it's time to wake up? We were headed for the playoffs, overrated because Samson and Nothing Personal said that we stunk and bet against us every single week and hasn't lost one of them. But we thought we were ready for January. So after two losses, it's okay to be asleep. But after five, now you say wake up? I'm out. I'm out on the whole, the whole thing. You know what else I'm out on? Players who uh, are coming to a new team and for whatever reason think that they've got some sort of standing. Let me tell you how it works in a clubhouse. No matter how big a free agent you are, when you go into a new clubhouse, you are not the leader of the clubhouse. I don't care if you're Bryce Harper. I don't care if you are Trevor Bauer this coming season or JT Ralamuto. No matter who you are, a big free agent signing, or someone who's traded, you come in, you learn your way around, you introduce yourself to the people in the clubhouse, the clubbies, you introduce yourself to your teammates, even though you may know some of them, you see how they operate, you see the way the team operates, you just keep it to a dull roar, you do what's asked of you, and then when you gain some cred, which only comes through T and P, that's what we would tell our players. You want credibility in this clubhouse? It takes time and it takes performance. Not Dennis Schroeder. 
Who in the hell's Dennis Schroeder? Yeah, he's the guy who was just traded to the Los Angeles Lakers, the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers. He's the point guard who's making 15 plus million dollars. He's a new Laker. Dennis Schroeder has not played a game. The Lakers start training camp December 1st. Defending their title. Can you imagine? There's preseason. Wait a minute. Is today December 1st, Coca? Holy crap. I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think that NBA training camps start today, which is completely ridiculous. By the way, Coca, you're 20 minutes late on this, but yes, it was Victor Conti. Thank you. Victor Conti was the Balco guy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, hit rewind by like eight minutes. And that was the Will Fuller story about medical professionals and how anyone can call him or herself a medical professional. Okay, back to Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder trades to the Lakers. Dennis Schroeder met the media. And Dennis Schroeder, for a reason that is unbeknownst to me, declared himself the starting point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, let me go back in the vault to the NBA championship, which I think ended like November, October 12th or something. It just ended like not even two months ago. The Lakers won. And I'm wondering who was the point guard. Hold on. Let me think about it. I think they've got this guy. He's, he's won a few titles. Uh, he's the second best player in the history of basketball behind Michael Jordan. Don't, don't add me. Or if you want to add me at David P. Sampson, do it. But LeBron is not as good as Jordan, period. Hard stop. If you need one player to win one game, one particular day, you get Michael Jordan to play, period. Done. So LeBron James is the point guard on the Laker team that just won the championship. And Dennis Schroeder says on a, his first intro Zoom conference with the media in L.A. that his position is that he doesn't want to come off the bench anymore. He did that with the Clippers. He was the, I think he came in second in the sixth man award to his own teammate, which by the way, is incredible. Wait a minute, Coca, I must have that wrong. Coca, did Dennis Schroeder come in second place to that guy, Harold, who plays for the Clippers? And did they both play for the Clippers? And the Clippers also had, oh, his new teammate is, okay. What team was, okay, thank you. All right, I got that wrong. Schroeder was on the Thunder. Harrell was on the Clippers. Harrell is now on the Lakers. Schroeder is now on the Lakers. And Schroeder finished second to Harrell in the sixth man voting. I thought it would be a little strange that teammates could finish first and second and sixth man while playing together, but they're now teammates. Okay. Thank you. By the way, Coca, did Harold come in when he met the media and demand that he's now a starter? I'm just curious. Did he say that? I bet he did. So Schroeder comes in and says, I'm going to be the starter. I'm done coming off the bench. I don't want to come off the bench. And have you spoken to a question from the media? Excuse me. Um, Dennis, hi. This is uh, John from the Los Angeles Times. Quick question. Have you met or... Uh, your coach, Frank Vogel. Oh, yes, of course. At the end of games, you know, shake hands. Good to see. You. I'm sorry. What I meant was, have you spoken to your coach since you were traded to the Los Angeles Lakers? Uh, um, when you say spoken, tell me what you mean by that. Because in my generation, spoken means texted. Do you mean texted? 
Um, no, no, Dennis. I'm asking, have you spoken to your coach? No. Why? I'm sorry. You want to be the starting point guard, and you're saying that you believe that LeBron is better to play off the ball, and you believe you're best to run the offense, and you want to start because you're tired of being off the bench and playing second fiddle to your now current teammate, and you haven't spoken to your coach. Okay, thanks. Let me ask you something. Um, Has anyone spoken to anyone on the Lakers? Oh, thank you so much for asking that, because yes. My agents spoke to Los Angeles before the trade and my agents made it clear that I wanted to start and the Lakers made the trade anyway. Therefore, I'm starting, obviously, because one plus one is six. When I was running a team in Florida and Montreal, we had that. We had some players who wanted to start when they were bullpen guys. They wanted to close when they were setup guys. They wanted to start in the outfields instead of being a fourth outfielder. They wanted to move up in the batting order. They wanted to put themselves in a position where they could make more money. And because there's certain positions on the field where you're making more money, if you're a starter, you get bulk and you make more money. And so we would often get calls from agents of players who we already had. And the agents would talk about, how do you, how do you going to use our client this coming season? I'll let you know when we make out the damn lineup. Oh, okay. Um, and do you think that uh, he's got a chance to hit those incentives in his contract? Not if I'm in charge. Nope, don't think he does. Okay. And then when you are trading for a player, hey, uh, David, I'm reading in the... Uh, on the, on the Twitter that you're thinking of trading for my player and just want to be clear, he's a starter and he will only start. Okay. Do you know what we would do when those calls would come in? I'd sit there with Mike Hill or Dan or Larry or whoever, and we'd put the call on speaker and the agents would call. And this is not just a agent. If it were just Boris, I would say it's just Boris. It's all agents. And we would put it on speaker, put it on mute, and we would be figuring out stuff for the next day, or we'd be going over budgets, or we'd be talking about Survivor, or we would be doing anything other than listening to what an agent is saying about demanding that his player play a certain position or get a certain number of at-bats or innings pitched, et cetera. And then with one ear, we'd wait for a pause, a little bit of silence. We'd hit the mute button, and then we'd say, Thank you very much. Good talking to you. Anything else? As a matter of fact, David, yes, there is one other thing. Mute. Go back to what we were talking about internally. Another pause. Okay, anything else? All right, thank you. The moral of the story, this is not the moral of Pierre. By the way, I have a book review. Uh, Buy for your kids or for yourselves, because they really are adult books, something called The Nutshell Library by Maurice Sendak. There's a book in there called Pierre. There once was a boy named Pierre who always would say, I don't care. Read his story, my friend, for you'll find at the end that a suitable moral lies there. One day, his mother said, 
Anyway, so the story goes on and on and on. And Pierre was a boy who said, I don't care all the time. And then at the end, he was going to get eaten by a lion, but he doesn't. And the moral of the story is care because the lion was going to eat him. The lion said, you care if I eat you? The kid said, I don't care, Pierre said. And so the lion said, then I'll eat you if I may. So the lion ate Pierre. And then at the end, he coughed up the lion. They went to the doctor. The lion coughed up Pierre. They went to the doctor and Pierre was all happy, went back with his family. And the moral of the story was care. So it's not that I don't care what agents say. I don't want to say it that way because many of them, I, I actually am interested because many of them are smart and have a lot of interesting things to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. That can be helpful in running the team. But there's one thing that does not interest me at all. And that is telling us where to play a player. Do you think when we run a team that we are going to put a player in position to fail? We may put a player in position not to hit an incentive. We may control the number of at-bats or the number of games started, the number of games finished. But we're not going to put a player in a position at least on purpose, where that player is going to fail. So if Dennis Schroeder makes the Lakers better by starting, it will have nothing to do with an agent calling or Dennis Schroeder saying it. If the Lakers can repeat by LeBron James being off the ball more so we can rest more, it's not as hard on him to play a 72-game season, which, by the way, he's going to load manage. And I'll do a over-under right now on the number of games LeBron plays at 64 that is, he'll miss eight games is my guess. I don't know how many games he missed last year, Coca, although last year was a weird year, but generally he does not miss a lot of games, but he's getting older and getting more tired. Don't tell us where you want to play and how you want to play. Dennis Schroeder really did not uh, ingratiate himself with the team, with LeBron. It's just stupid. It's just stupid. Okay, we're going to get to uh, the pick of the day and what happened last night after the break, but please stay tuned. I know that there are significant commercials now because you guys like nothing personal, which means I guess that's good, right, Coca? The more commercials, that means the better. Yeah, it does. I guess we'll find out soon enough. We're going to review a movie with Anya Taylor-Joy. It was a mini series that everybody's talking about. Check back after the break. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Did you listen through all those? Thank you. I said check back after the break. Do you get it? Check, check, check. 
as in chess, as in checkmate. Anya Taylor-Joy stars in a miniseries that has been widely talked about. I read, I didn't read, I don't read. I finished, by the way, the irony is that the light in front of me had to be propped up a little bit and I'm propping it up on the Black's Law Dictionary I got from my grandpa Walter that has my name on it when I went to law school back in 1990, I started law school. And a present that was given was a, um, a leather bound Black's Law Dictionary. I'm using that now as a stand to make the light higher and the camera higher, et cetera. And it makes me smile to look at it, to think of Grandpa Walter. But in addition, it just shows me that I don't look inside that dictionary anymore because when I need to know a legal term, I can just GTS. Do you know what GTS is? Have I said that on the show yet, Coca? To GTS? Just Google that shit. Okay. So I reviewed yesterday The Undoing. Love watching movies, series. Series from yesterday was that finished was The Undoing. We reviewed that. But over the weekend and over the Thanksgiving break, because it's being widely talked about, it's trending, Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit is a chess strategy, a chess move. It's an entire miniseries about a woman chess player who is a child prodigy, and she grows in to be a chess champion. And it is about her journey and the disastrous life that she has off the court, off the board, how she learned chess, what her life was like as an orphan, how she became an addict, a alcoholic, how she was brilliant, how her mind thought. It stars, in addition to Anya, a guy who looks so familiar to me. I didn't know who I, I have you ever had that when you're watching a show and you know you've seen that person, but you don't know where. Do you remember Sam from Love Actually? Sam, the little boy, Liam Neeson's son. His name is Thomas Brody Sangster. Back in Love Actually, I think it was just Thomas Sangster. He's now grown up and plays another champion chess player, but he never wears a shirt. He wears a leather jacket. And he ends up helping Anya become a chess champion. What's fascinating about this is this is during the time of the Cold War and the biggest deal back then. I don't know if you remember this, but you can GTS. The chess champions came from Russia and U.S. players wanted nothing more than to beat the Russian chess players and they never really could. And there were very famous matches that were when Gary Kasparov used to play against another guy. Can you imagine? I remember the Russian and not the U.S. guy. These were like televised matches. These were height of Cold War. This made the Olympics look like a friendly game of Mahjong in the backyard at your grandparents' nursing home facility. This was, you know, money was being poured into chess by the Russians. So in the Queen's Gambit, she is wants to go to Russia and beat the Russians. And the reason why we're taught that the Russians are so good at chess is that they work together as a team. But in the U.S., what we learned during the document, it's not a documentary. What we learned during the Queen's Gambit is that in the U.S., it's every player for him or herself. And she then ends up getting help from other U.S. champions. It is a miniseries that starts slowly. The beginning is her and it's a nightmare. The way she's treated at a, at a convent school as an orphan. 
They basically lobotomize the kids. She ends up meeting a janitor who teaches her how to play chess. It, it's she, it, it is so beautiful, the relationship with the janitor. I wish that during the rest of the show, they actually went into more detail. She really had no, did not stay in touch with him. And, and then he dies when she's an adult. And that's not a spoiler, by the way. It's not spoiling the show. It just showed that she didn't stay in touch the way she should have with the, with the person who was actually good to her when she was an orphan child, as opposed to the people who were not good to her in this school. And it shows that as she grows up, she goes to tournaments and how absolutely misogynistic the chess world was back in the 50s. Women don't play. Women can't play. She would go to tournaments and they assumed that she was a flight attendant or she was there to serve drinks. And so the beginning of the miniseries, the first episode, I would say, is a little slow, a little redundant and a little off putting. But the truth is you have to stick with it only because everyone is seen it through. So there must be something there. And I'm in the majority because it's true. There is something there. Every single episode gets better until the end. Literally, it's not an up and down where, oh, it sort of fades at the end or it went an episode too long. That's a common thing. The Queen's Gambit gets better every single hour. So I asked you to watch The Undoing yesterday. I'm asking you to watch Queen's Gambit. It's not about spoiling what happens because it doesn't really matter. Does she beat the Russian? Does she not beat the Russian? The real job here is by the actress who played Emma in the, in the recent Emma with the star of Lovesick, that TV show I told you to watch, by the way, that Coca told me to watch. She is so good. She, I think she's an Emmy Award winner. I think she's a nominee for sure. I think the last two series we've watched are going to be there for the Emmys, Queen's Gambit and The Undoing. I just can't believe how enthralled I was. And now chess is becoming this popular game. It's one of those things. It's like why why health clubs, the highest time for membership is January because people make New Year's resolutions and they say, hey, I want to be I want to be a in shape. So I'm going to join a gym. So everyone joins in January and then quits in March. So chess is having the same sort of resurgence. People are watching Queen's Gambit and saying, I want to play chess. So everyone's buying chess boards. I think it's going to be one of those things like when I bought, I wanted to play the piano because I wanted to play the piano riff from the song Sailing by Christopher Cross. Sailing takes me away from where I'm always. My son used, hates that song. I used to play it in the car all the time. And then there's a piano parts of that song, an instrumental, and I want to learn how to do it. So I bought a synthesizer on, on the Google and I was all excited and I never used it. So I think that's what's going to happen. I love playing chess. I learned from my Uncle Max. I'm not really good at it, but I'm good enough to play. So if you're really good, you're going to beat me really easily. If you're good, it's going to be sort of give or take. And if you're bad, I'm going to win the majority of the time. It's a very interesting game. I love sort of picturing how each move is going to happen. And part of Queen's Gambit is what they do is they sort of show her mind. And they show that to be good at chess, you have to be 20 moves ahead. You have to look at every possible way. And the way they do that in the Queen's Gambit happens to be completely fascinating as well. So Queen's Gambit is a review. Okay, pick of the day. I told you I'd get to it. I can't violate that. 35 and 31, we pushed. We got six points. We only gave six points. We lost on a Hail Mary. And then the Eagles went for two. We'll talk more about that tomorrow because Coke is yelling in my ear. You give me 45 minutes of your time and I do not take that for granted. You've got business to do. It's nothing personal.